welcome to Reframe Your Life. I'm Joanne Gibson. And I'm Sandy Reynolds. Together, we bring you our podcast for women who want to live and lead their lives thoughtfully and with intention. On our episodes, we explore diverse topics relevant to all areas of our lives. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited to bring you this episode. It's all about the empowerment dynamic, something that we first heard from one of our guests, Deb Bakti, early on in our podcasting careers. And I got so intrigued and curious by this model that I actually went and did the training earlier this year. So I'm very excited to bring it with you today with Sandy. How's it going, Sandy? It's going really well, just adjusting to colder weather here. So a little bit cool this morning, but it's, it's good. I just, I think we both just come off a couple of weeks of a bit of a break. So I feel rested. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. And it was a big day for you yesterday. Birthdays are important. Yes. This was a very important one. It's sort of the warm up for a big year, I think. <laughs> so. <laughs> It was, yeah, I'm coming into a new decade next year. So I always find that final year in a decade sort of anticipatory of what's to come. And, you know, you kind of think when I turn 30, I want to have my life together. (laughs) I'm not turning 30 next year, but I still want to have my life together. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Well, it's good that you had a great day. Uh, I was teaching a fitness class this morning and it's someone's birthday today. So uh, I said, you know, be careful because your heart rate maximum is is one beat per minute less yesterday than it was today. (laughs) (laughs) Your ability to push that heart rate max is a little bit less. (laughs) Well, it's so funny. I was out walking today and I was like really like swinging my arms and I passed (laughs) this man and he said to me, Oh, I really like your arm swing. And I thought, I guess that's how the kinds of compliments you get now at this age of life. Oh, that is funny. Well, it's really great to have you. And I think this is going to be a really fun episode. The empowerment dynamic, also called the three vital questions. So we're going to be talking about some questions and going to be talking about this dynamic. But it's it's all rooted in the fact that everyone experiences drama and how we experience it, how we react to it, and the steps we choose to take as a result of it is, is really in our control. Uh, so there is, right? I mean, there's drama everywhere. I mean, cast your mind back to working in organizations, Sandy, and thinking about the drama that was in the workplace. What kind of words come to mind when you think of drama? Oh, you know what? We can even say family drama. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Or friend drama. Like what comes to mind when I say relationship drama? Um, Disappointment, frustration, um, just awkward tension between mm. people, um, confrontation. It's like energy wasting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I, I remember I used to be full of drama. Mine was probably more family oriented drama. <laughs> Not my family, because my family's perfect, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember some of our earlier conversations. Like I was, I was just stuck in the drama and those words are all negative you know gossip backstabbing 
exhaustion, finger pointing, blaming. They're all negative words. But but drama is part of our human experience. It, it's going to come up in our lives, whether it be about people or whether it be certain situations that we don't like, certain situations that we find ourselves in that we're not happy to be in. Um, that can all be related to drama depending on how you act and react to those things. Uh, but just a little stat on uh, workplace drama. So when we were researching this, um, we Googled workplace drama. Corporate publishers of the Myers-Briggs assessment and the Conflict Mode Instrument commissioned a study on workplace conflict, conflict. And they found that in 2008, US employees spent 2.8 hours per week dealing with conflict. This amounts to about $359 billion in paid hours. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And conflict got to be able to have conflict that's related to task and, and project and things. Con- conflict that relate, that's related to drama, we don't want to be involved in that. So I found that really interesting. And when I did the research, this was the latest, everyone was citing this study, mm-hmm. basically. Okay. I was driving downtown Toronto at rush hour last Friday night. So there were just hundreds of people pouring out of buildings and I was noticing how unhappy most of them looked. And I was like, wow, this is Friday night. So it looked, it looked like the end of a long week for everybody. <laughs> and the thought crossed my mind. Um, sometimes I think people need to create a little drama just to break the boredom of their work. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think what I've experienced during times of organizational change, people just get so wrapped up in stuff that's out of their control and they make a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. And so that's a situation, right? A situation that they don't like. Cause drama can come when it's related to people or a situation or a circumstance. So they kind of get themselves in a bit of a tiz. You know, I know someone who's going through organizational change right now. And, and they're at the management level, so they're at a decision-making level. So from their perspective, this is an amazing time. They're going to grow their team. Mm. It's going to be awesome. It's, then they actually spoke to their staff and said, oh, my gosh, I had no idea what people were thinking and what people were saying to each other. Are there going to be layoffs? Is this going to happen? What does this mean, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't think like that, it's very hard when you uh, feed off each other in a team like that. You can start creating stories based on based on not knowing and based on some drama. Right. But I think you're right. I think there are people who thrive on the drama that is detrimental at the end of the day to their health and their relationships. Yeah. And I like the storytelling part of it because people are trying to make sense of what's happening. And depending where you are in the organization, you may not have information to fill in the gaps. So people start to create their own story to try and resolve that tension of not really knowing what's going on. None of us are immune to drama. There is drama all all around. And just speaking on the management side, as much as 40% of their time they spend dealing with drama and or interpersonal conflict in their organizations. 40%. 
It, and it's a kind of sounds like a cycle to me because it's like you're spending 40% of your time dealing with these things, essentially putting out fires. Then it just slows down the whole process of what you're trying to accomplish, which just creates more anxiety and, and uh, feeds into that drama again, right? It's, yeah. it's like a catch 22 in a way. So, yeah. So I love what we're going to be talking about because we understand that in all of our relationships, but especially, you know, I think at work, because we spend so much time at work and with the people that we work with, that that can escalate the drama. So I love that we're going to have this conversation today. So let's launch in. The three vital questions enable us to basically have more effective relationships in our lives. So we'll go through them, Sandy, and then we'll kind of break them down a little bit. So the very, very first vital question is where are you putting your focus? Are you putting it on problems or are you putting it on outcomes? The second one is how are you relating to others? How are you relating to what's going on around you? Are you relating in a positive way or are you relating in a negative way? And then the last one is as a result of all that, what actions are you taking? So you can kind of start seeing the flow already, right? If you put your focus based in a problem orientation, it's going to impact how you relate to others, which of course is going to impact the actions you take, right? Oh, this is huge. Right now, I just thought of three people that I'm going to direct to this podcast once we post it because I've just been having conversation with someone in the midst of an organizational change. And as a leader... In that organization, what he's trying to do is get people to put their focus on what they're trying to accomplish and not on the problems in the situation. And I think that a lot of leaders end up in that struggle, you know, where people are just continually focused on the problems and not on the outcomes. Yeah, that's right. Because things happen. I mean, you've given a good organizational um Example there that we can do a personal example. Things happen. We get diagnosed with cancer. Family members die. We get laid off. Are we most effective if we focus on that problem or are we most effective if we focus on the outcome? Well, the outcome of, you know, I want to get through this cancer. It sucks. I don't like it. Of course. But what do I need to do to get through it to be as healthy as I possibly can be? So right away, I'm thinking of Gord Downey and right. how he totally inspired Canadians this past year after being diagnosed with a brain tumor that, that ultimately killed him and how he made this choice to really look at, I have this diagnosis. And now my choice is how am I going to really live and use the time remaining in a way that's going to have the, the best and greatest impact in my life, right? Yeah, and for his relationships too. I mean, his fans, of course, so they mm -hmm. did this amazing tour. He shared, I mean, he, there was obviously a time where his band members and his family and close friends were coming to terms with his diagnosis before he shared it out. Mm -hmm. uh, then there was this whole kind of grieving mourning process for the fans to come to terms with it and, and get together. 
But he really did. He really did inspire a country. And I remember watching that last interview he did and he said, it sucks. My son's 10. I think his son's 10. Mm-hmm. Of course I want to see him grow up. Of course I want to see him graduate. Of course I want to see him. So my focus is to be alive for as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which just changes the whole kind of dynamic of, of the actions you take then. Okay, so what actions do I need to take in order to get to the outcome that I want to get to? Oh, my gosh. This is so good for me today, Joanne. Like I just going into doing some planning for the coming year. And it's even easy to carry this into planning and think of what am I not happy with and get really caught up in the problems. And and instead of going into your planning, thinking, what do I want to accomplish? Yeah. Yeah, what do I want to feel? How do I want to think? What action do I want to take? What behavior do I want to do? So that is the basis of the first vital question. So let's delve into that a little bit more. Where do you put your focus? So two people, Sandy, Mm -hmm. and we know this because we experienced a lot of things at Res, right, when Mm -hmm. we were at university. Two people can experience the exact same situation, but the result can be two very different experiences oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that's all based on our own inner state which drives our behavior it's of all about what in the empowerment dynamic is called FISB focus inner state and behavior Mm. our focus and our inner state is going to be based on our previous experiences and then our behavior is going to be linked to that current focus and that current inner inner state right now. It's how we show up in our lives, right? Right. So you must have heard stories, Sandy, or have you done this yourself where you've put something out there from a place of positivity and good things happen? Essence is where you put your focus will link to the actions you take and the outcomes that you achieve. So if you focus on more positive things in your life, which we want to focus on the outcomes, then positive things will come. And it kind of sounds woo-woo, <laughs> but it really is true. I think it is true, and I've heard it from a lot of different places, and it seems so simple that we discount it or we don't recognize how powerful that statement is, but what you have in your life is a result of where you focus. So it it applies to everything in your life. I think if you, if you are out of shape, it's because you haven't, you have failed to put your focus on taking care of your body. And it's just, it's simple. I I think there's a woo woo level in it where it can, it can manifest itself in a really way that like my vision board where I put a picture on it and then looked at it six months later and realized that, oh my goodness, I went there and I, I didn't even know where it was when I put it on my vision board and I didn't even think about it again until six months later. And then I recognized that I'd been there. So there's that part of it, but I think there's just a very practical side of this equation as well. Yeah, I I agree. I was Skype the in-laws the past weekend and 
they've often said, you know, you're lucky everything works out for you. <laughs> and I keep saying, hang on a minute, I want some credit here. Like <laughs> I'm not lucky and everything doesn't just automatically work out for me or us. No, it doesn't always work out for us, but we choose we understand and we accept that everything that is happening, we may or may not have had a role in that happening to us or with us or around us, but we can choose on how we focus on that, right? How we're going to move forward with whatever circumstance that is. So can I just talk a little bit about that? Because that idea when for all of us, I'm sure we've all said you're really lucky to someone or in a situation. Um, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about being victims, but that idea of chalking something up to luck is so faulty and so flawed in many ways. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend your in-laws if they're listening. I'm not I'm just because I've done it. <laughs> I've done it myself. Because what it also means is when bad things happen to us, we're unlucky and it, it takes control away. It, it sounds like we ha- we're not responsible for what happens in our lives in any way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some things do happen that we may or may not be responsible for, but I, I totally agree. If I go on, she says, Oh, your communication is really great. And I said, choose to focus our time and energy on making sure our communication is top notch, right? Yeah. And that was a choice. Choose to try and have a bit more of a positive outcome oriented focus. And back to that woo-woo thing, Sandy, this is where it it goes from not being woo-woo to being practical. Who do you want to hang out with? Hmm. Who do you want to engage with? Do you want to engage with someone who's always based in the problem orientation of, of, you know, it can't be fixed or woe is me or whatever? Or do you want to hang out with people who are a little bit more positive? So I do believe that's where it kind of goes from woo-woo to you put it out there and then you can get business and clients and opportunities and, and deeper relationships because those people come. They want to hang out with more that person who's like, yeah, how can we work on this together or how can we get a positive solution or how can we get an awesome outcome rather than, yeah, yeah, not my problem. Good luck with that. So it's always thinking about what is your focus in reaction to the problem or the drama. And I just want to tell anyone listening to this right now to just pause and think about this in your own life and think about, just ask yourself, where do you put your focus? Do you tend to put it on problems or do you put it on outcomes? And if you put it on problems, if that's kind of your default, where you normally go, what would change for you if you were to start shifting this one thing? Like if this is the one thing you take away from this episode, I think this would be huge in your life. Yeah, and it's it's hard. We're not saying it's easy because our default orientation, Sandy, as human beings, and not everyone, but our default generally is the problem orientation. Most of us operate from this unconsciously. And I have to say, I've had to do a lot of work in this area. So that's what we mean. Shitty things may happen, but what is in your control is where you put your focus, what your inner state is, and what your behavior is. When you're in the problem orientation, that's the victim orientation. And that's the focus. The focus is, I am a victim. 
there's a problem, I'm experiencing anxiety, I don't like this anxiety, so I'm going to lash out, you know, fight, flight or, or freeze uh, or lash out or appease others or do something so that I don't feel uh, this anxiety anymore. That's, that's the problem orientation. The outcome orientation that we're talking about is the creator. You know, you alter your orientation, you envision a more positive outcome, you engage your passion, you engage your enthusiasm, and you decide that you're going to take some baby steps to uh, get to where you want to be. So let's delve into that triangle. Hey, Sandy, and I know you've done a little bit of work, but first of all, do you have any stories around being a victim? I certainly do. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yes, I do. I have quite a few. Um, I think it's really easy to fall into the victim mentality. So, um, a pretty basic one I think most people can relate to for me is probably a relationship story, although it also happens in, in work relationships as well, I think, as well as personal. It's just, um, when you have appointments with people and they keep you waiting for like 20 minutes to 30 minutes and you've made the effort to get there on time. And for me, I fall right into um, feeling like a victim or I can, like I feel like, wow, I just, there's nothing I can do now. I'm stuck here waiting for this person and it can make me crazy. Yeah. 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 It's that I'm powerless and you blame others. The, the thoughts of a victim, it's around, it happens to me, poor me, woe is me, it's not my fault. Right. Right, it's not my fault. And you see that in organizations all the time. People even say, who do we need to blame for this? Oh, wow. (laughs) Who do we need to blame for this? Okay, like that kind of language is not helpful. And behaviors could be people are resistant, they give up, lack of energy, and then those negative reactions, right, lashing out and stuff like that. Yeah. So what do we want to do? So the victim is part of the triangle, which is from the problem orientation. So we've spoken about problem and outcome. And and there are two triangles. One is based in the problem orientation. One is based in the uh, outcome orientation. The victim is that central role. Um, it really is that central role of uh, life happens to me and I have no choice in how it happens. Mm-hmm. Whereas the creator, the very opposite to that is the central role of the empowerment dynamic of the creator of the outcome orientation. And it taps into your own power where you get to choose your response to life circumstances. It could be to relationships. It could be to situations that have happened like the ones we've spoken about. Yep, shitty things could happen, but what is in your control is how you choose. Do you choose to be, you know, result-oriented, goal-oriented, outcome-oriented, positive-focused, or do you choose to be the victim? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have really embraced the creator role in the cooking area now. <laughs> That's good. Like, I love it. And it's been circumstances because, you know, actually studying and things like that and 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 we're kind of eating in a new way, but it really has harnessed my energy around it, and he is loving it. So we don't have those horrible negative arguments around food anymore. You know, he's loving that I'm creating food and 
and creating delicious things. He's loving that he's being fed because he doesn't have a lot of time for anything else at this point. <laughs> and, yeah, it's just, um, I don't know, it just engages my, it's engaged my passion in a different way, I suppose. Oh, I think that's great. And that's a good example of making a shift, right, from being a victim to what can I do in this situation to, yeah. be, to be more outcome-focused. So the persecutor fears either their own victimhood or being victimized by others, either a person, a condition, or a situation. So this is all linked. Even though it's a triangle, it's all kind of connected. And then we could be an aggressor towards others, and we could want to control and dominate to get what we want. And so related back to my food story, that's exactly how I was. I felt like I was a victim, so then I persecuted my husband at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good example of how you can you can be many of these roles at the same time right. in different circumstances and in different situations. So I did. I totally persecuted. I mean, how horrible is that? Like this is – I sound really bitchy, and I was, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I really was. So like Sandy said, take a pause. Like when have you been a little bit horrible to people, maybe a bit passive aggressive, maybe persecuted people to keep them down? Oh, so I just did this recently. So clearly a theme for me, if if anybody is listening that knows me, I'm always on time. I, I just... <laughs> Not always. There has to be a good reason for me not to be on time. Generally, if I say I'm going to meet you at a certain time, I'm going to be there at that time. And um, it's, a, it's a value to me. And so I had an appointment with the bank and I was already in a bad mood about the bank anyway, because I had to jump through so many hoops to get through to them. I don't know if you've ever tried calling a bank, but you have to put in every freaking number that is related to you, your bank card number, this number, that number, what, you know, you go through all of this stuff to make an appointment. And, and uh, all I want to do is just talk to someone about a screw up on my account. So I finally get an appointment. And now I have to make a trip to the bank. And I get there. And I say to the receptionist that I'm here for my two o'clock appointment. And the receptionist says to me, well, She's in a meeting right now, so I'm not sure how long it's going to be. And I just looked at him and I was like, man, I should have been like super persecutor. I should have, if that was like a superpower I had in the moment. And I just looked at him and I said, I don't care what she's doing. I had a two o'clock appointment and I've worked my schedule to come in here to deal with your problem. So I will be here for 15 minutes and I would like to have that problem resolved before I left. Like I was just, he looked at me like with terror in his eyes. (laughs) So she quickly came out and got me sorted. (laughs) But it was like, and it wasn't like the difference with being a creator, I think is partly in how you treat other people. Because I did not care what was going on in anybody's life or what their situation was. I was just ready to rip a strip off someone if they didn't come out right away. So I can totally. be a persecutor. Because you were already coming in as a victim, right? Why right. do I have exactly. to do this? Yep, you were coming in as a victim. So you went straight into persecutor. And that's a great example 
you were on guard already, you were self-righteous. Oh, yeah. And you were dominating and controlling. That's totally a persecutor way of being. And what you said there, Sandy, about intention is totally right. The opposite in the outcome-oriented triangle, the opposite to persecutor is a challenger. And the fundamental difference here is the intention behind what you're doing. And like you said, you went in with like that victim orientation and I'm going to show you guys, you know, that was kind of the intention. So the intention from goes from persecutor of putting down to challenger of building up. The feelings are much more of self-awareness. It could provoke or evoke other people to take action, you know, focus on improvement and growth. So I don't know what, what I guess what could you have said if you went into that situation from a creator mindset? Well, I think partly it would have been voice, tone, and body language. Like I think I was just really blunt and I probably would have said something to him like, I know this isn't your problem. You know, I, I, I I held him responsible and it wasn't, he had nothing to do with it. He was just the messenger for one thing. Um, and I think that I probably would have let off with a question like, I'm sorry, I thought my appointment was at two o'clock or something like that, you know, yeah. and can we just clarify that, you know, to make sure that I had my facts right or whatever. I just went on attack mode. Like yeah. there was like... <laughs> And you want, I'm going to, this is people listening, you know, if they thought I was perfect, our, our listeners, I'm just going to like <laughs> knock myself off the pedestal. I was so angry that I then phoned my sister from the reception area and went on about the situation, knowing that he could hear me. I Like, how bad was that? Like, I was so on this mode that day. I was like, I said to her, do you have a minute? I just have to tell oh, you, no. I'm at the bank. Blah, 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 blah. Like, you've heard those conversations where people are going on their phone in public. I was yes. that person. Like, just <laughs> totally going on about the situation. I know. I know. Okay. This is a really good example. Thank you for being there. No, because going from persecutor to challenger It is around the intention because as a challenger, you still want to be confident and direct and clear. You still want to hold yourself and others accountable, but it's the way in which that is done and the intention behind it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think you've clearly explained like your intention was, yeah, you, you still have to hold that. That person had a appointment and you were there on time, probably early, Mm-hmm. And, and they just kind of fobbed you off. And, and again, not the messenger fobbed you off. The other person fobbed you off. So, so yes, it's the intention behind how you hold them accountable and how you're confident and direct and clear. And that does get down to tone of voice. It does get down to the words you use. It does get down to the inflections in your voice. And, um, this is honestly, this is one where I struggle a lot because I like challenging. Like I really do. And coaches, that is part of our role to challenge too. And I'm always checking in with myself. What is the intention? Are you doing this to show someone up, 
to show that you know best, to show that you have the answer, to show that they can't stick to their commitment or they can't stick to what they said they were going to do and all that kind of stuff? Or are you doing it from that place of, of love and positive intention to help them grow? And then the final piece of the triangle from a problem orientation is when you're a rescuer. And I, I think taking another pause here for people and really getting them to ask themselves, have they been the rescuer? Have they been the pain reliever, the poor you, ensuring that the victim stays down? Really, that's where it's coming from. Pretend to do it from a place of, oh, I'm just trying to help. It can also come from a place that you and I have spoken with a lot. If I please others, they will like me and they will support me and they will love me. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's coming from that slightly negative orientation. And I've got a story around um, a family member, my one of my in-laws, you know, they, we both actually, both my husband and I played rescuer a lot and we finally kind of thought, okay, like this is not our, like we need to support that person to coach them. Uh, to build them up because when we're rescuing people, we're basically persecuting them and saying you're not good enough to be able to get out of the situation yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so the opposite is the coach. You know, a coach supports, assists, facilitates, facilitates the creator in that person, you know, helps them create what they want, manifest that desired outcome, uses inquiry, empowers understands that people will get there. They are resourceful. They will find a way. I think parents can find themselves a lot in the rescuer situation. Yes. I think, I was just thinking this happens a lot in meetings with people. So I'm not going to use one about being late again, but how often have you been in a meeting where somebody was supposed to get something done and they pulled the victim card? on you know, out like you know well I'm really sorry I didn't I know I said I'd have this done for today but company on the weekend and my dog was sick and blah 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 and you know they go through a bunch of stuff and then you rescue them yeah right and then you say oh I'm sorry that that sounds really tough well you'll just try and work around it yeah, I think you, you kind of jump in to save the day and make it okay that they, they didn't get it achieved rather than trying to empower and, and from a place of positive intent, ask them what they learned from that situation, what they, what they could do differently next time. Right. Right. Did they leave it last minute? Cause, you know, that's why they were trying to do it on the weekend and the dog, blah, blah, blah. So what could they do differently next time to empower them and, and um, not keep them in that kind of victim mindset? Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it because um, or, or persecute them for not getting it done. Right. It was so funny, as you say this, uh, my husband used to work with a guy who every time he came to work on a Monday, he was always late and he always had a reason. And it was so funny, like the reasons, they would just laugh about them. The reasons were like, oh, the cat stepped on the alarm clock and turned it off. <laughs> and I like, wow. I think I worked with this person. I worked with a woman once who came in late all the time. And, you know, I have to tell you, this was one of her excuses. Maybe these two people should get together. 
she said, I don't get paid enough to have an alarm service. Oh, Oh, it is just so funny. And that is why, back to your being late story, I feel so gosh darn bad now when I'm late. (laughs) Because I know that was totally in my power and in my control. Yeah. You know, I, I I didn't have to send that email or I could have set the alarm a little bit earlier or I didn't have to put the washing on or like I can't blame being late. Being late is is not a, you know, like. Well, as soon as you know you're going to be late, give the person a courtesy text or a call, yeah. right? So yeah. they know. Don't just leave them. Yeah. Yeah, and and if someone is doing that, don't say it's okay. Exactly. <laughs> Encourage them. So, what will you do differently next time? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, th- I think that's yeah. It's true. You are going from that rescuer. Oh yeah, I'll make it okay that you are late to that coach. Now I know you can't do this necessarily with all all situations. Check in with yourself when you are rescuing. The coach holds the creator accountable for taking steps necessary to move forward. The coach believes that the creator can do it. So that's the two triangles from the orientation. Where are you putting your focus and and how are you relating to others? Are you relating to others from a problem or a um outcome orientation and then the last vital question is the so then what action are you taking and that links right back to the front you know where you focus on will determine what action you take are you reacting to problems are you being reactional so you're actually not even thinking you're not even thinking and conscious of the actions you're taking you're just reacting mm-hmm. you're reacting which isn't a good place to be because that's problem reaction Or are you actually going, okay, I have a choice here, I need to think about. And yet sometimes we need to fight and flight. I totally get it. Sometimes you need to react when you're in dangerous situations. I get that. A lot of the times we can go, okay, here is the person, the situation, the context that I'm in right now. I have a choice. Yes, it sucks. No, I don't like it, but I have a choice here. Mm -hmm. So how do we move how do we make that shift, Sandy? <laughs> Here's our big long list of things. And some of it we've spoken about. But the number one, and this is why this is so related to leadership, and we've, we've given both examples of at work and in your personal life. The number one is you have to develop self-awareness. Mm-hmm. You have to understand what your triggers are. I think we know one of Sandy's triggers is being late. <laughs> <laughs> Not me being, oh yeah, me being late too. And just not being on time. It's a trigger. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So yes, sorry. Yes. I reframe that. Not being on time. That is one of her triggers. So she knows either if she's not on time or someone else is on time, that that may get her to sway into the victim orientation. Right. So Mm -hmm. you know that. Right. So it's about being self-aware. It's about being self-aware of, okay, when this happens, How can I choose to react to it differently? Mm -hmm. How can I choose to think about it differently? And if it happens with the same person, do I have the courage to become a coach rather than stay in the rescue and and let them think it's it's okay, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's happening with the same person all the time? 
And I just pay attention to when I start to have a strong emotional reaction in a situation, then I know something's triggering me, you know, because yeah. normally when you're, when you're in one of these roles like creator or coaching, you're not emotionally hooked. You're not having those same frustrations and all of those strong feelings. So I think just paying attention to my emotional state is a big clue. Really is about focusing on on yourself and you're right it's the emotional triggers mm -hmm. you know one strategy you can do over the next two days is keep that in mind Fisby. where do you focus your intention where are your emotions triggering up what inner state is that creating for you and then notice how you behave based mm. on that inner state because a lot that. of this triangle this victim persecutor and rescuer like i said at the beginning it's because we're anxious so someone turns up late, even though we don't like it, we're kind of anxious with those feelings that we don't like it, so we rescue them and make it okay, right, mm -hmm. In, instead of addressing some of those feelings. So um, we try and do what we can with that dynamic tension. We try and um, make it okay for us too, and that causes us to be in that kind of victim orientation rather than the creator. So. Another strategy, focus on you want what you want rather than what you don't want, which is what you said at the beginning, Sandy, when you're talking about your goals. Mm -hmm. Focus on what you want rather than what you don't want and move from automatic reaction to conscious responding, to life experiences, to things that happen. I love this, Sandy. I really do love this model. If you're interested in learning more, you can go to my web website, couragetolead.ca, sign up to get a complimentary worksheet that will help you start reframing your orientation because it, it is a journey. It is a work in progress. Also, Sandy, I just want to let everyone know that I'm offering a uh, special coaching series related to the empowerment dynamic as well. So if you're interested, that will be on my website. You can sign up for that. And as we've mentioned, it's great for organizations. So if mm -hmm. anyone's a little bit more curious on how this relates to organizations or what can be done relating it to um, organizational effectiveness, as, as we said, a lot of wasted energy around drama and around conflict. And then especially when the organizations are going through transitions like change, it's even good to bring some sessions in to help people really understand their own reactions um, and their own orientations. I think that's great, Joanne. What I think is the mark of a really good program or methodology of any sort is that it affects all areas of your life. When, when I hear something that I think I can use this with my kids, I can use this with my partner, I can use this in my life with my family and friends, and I could take this into the office and use this in a change initiative or to help my team function better, then I know that the the information that I'm learning or that's been um, being taught is really transformative. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I did mention about being a rescuer could be related to parents. And I think absolutely, like this model could be uh, related to anyone because mm -hmm. there are a lot of parents who are in the rescue mode because they don't like that anxiety of seeing their child be hurt, whatever way that hurt is, right? Mm -hmm. 
But when you're in that rescue mode, well, you're not allowing and enabling the growth and the learning and the development that comes with learning that perhaps things don't go the way we always think they're going to go. You know? Exactly. That safe hurt, if you like. So totally, yeah, thanks for saying that. It does really interject with all areas of our life. So if, and you know what, if you just even just want to chat, just uh, send me a note and I'd be happy to. I, I'm going to be bringing this into uh, certainly our podcast a lot more because I really, um, I think from my experience, I've played the victim and I've played the rescuer and, and I've really had those kind of aha moments and that transformation of really trying to go, right, okay, what is it that I really want here and how do I want to put my best foot forward? So I want to just leave with a quote. It is from the book. The author of this model, the designer of this model, actually wrote um, a book that really kind of illustrated these different roles. So here it is. While you may not directly cause everything that happens to you, you do have the capacity to choose your response to circumstances. And you have a great deal more responsibility for what appears in your life than you might want to admit. One of the biggest challenges is waking up to this reality, making the shift happen on a daily basis and working to stay awake. So that is from the book, The Power of Ted. I'll have links to The Power of Ted as well. Thanks, Sandy. Thanks for being vulnerable and sharing this podcast with me. It's been fantastic. Thank you, Joanne. Hi, Life Reframers. Did you enjoy our episode today? If so, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, check us out on all our social media avenues via reframeyourlife.ca.